Good morning, everyone. Excited to share the sermon with you this morning. Going to make some space for God to work by exploring the biblical text. We are in a sermon series called Humbled, where we're focusing on the biblical teaching and quality of humility. I want to begin this morning with one of my favorite quotes. It's from the Fellowship of the Ring. It's a moment in that first film where Frodo has taken his first step into his journey and he's realizing just how dangerous it really is and just how severe the situation is. And he's sitting with Gandalf and he has this conversation. He says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf responds, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. All we have to do is to decide what to do with the time given to us. You see, it is okay for a little while to go with the woulda, coulda, shoulda nostalgia that Frodo is bringing up here, and we can totally relate. In fact, Gandalf can totally relate. But I love the reframe from Gandalf when he says, our focus should not be on, I wished I could avoid this issue because it is too difficult. I wish I could have lived in some other time or place. And to reframe our thinking to say, well, what good is it to think of, I wish it could have been better or different when we can ask ourselves a more important question in the face of this complex world that we live in, which is how do I use my one life in a way that matters? You see, this is the animating force behind what Jesus' words will bring to us this morning from the Sermon on the Mount. This morning's text is from Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to hear these words in light of the truth that we are all formed. Either formed by the things of this world, formed passively and without even knowing it, or formed intentionally with a choice to be formed in a certain way. And so Jesus is going to present his way. And what is possible when you follow his way, and it will be our choice to decide if we want to be so formed. Hear these words from Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. 
You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Some of the most famous advice ever given was given to children in times of tragedy to help them to deal with receiving tragic news. It's from Mr. Rogers. He said this, he said, When I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news. My mother would say to me, Look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. I think Mr. Rogers, who we know was a faithful Christian minister, his words and advice here were also animated by the text that we just read. Look for the helpers, those who are salt and light. This metaphor these two metaphors that are probably the most familiar to you of all of Jesus' metaphors are a guide for what to do in a world that is dry and dark. And just for the sake of review, let's talk about what salt would have meant in a pre-refrigerator desert climate. Salt was the thing that kept things from going bad. It kept things from spoiling. It was a preservative, a purifier. It added taste. It cleansed wounds. It killed germs. It promoted healing. And so salt was essential to Jesus' audience on this day. In fact, the theologian N.T. Wright, drawing on this essential nature of salt as a preservative, explains the analogy this way. He says, God's people keep the world from going bad. Everybody on that day, on that mountain, would have understood what Jesus meant when he said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. He was referring to that which was essential to the world. Necessary for the world. Absolutely irreplaceable to the world. He was referring to the element that would preserve the world from decay. Literally the very ingredient that would save the world. And it probably was not understanding the metaphor that the people on the mountain receiving this teaching on that day would have struggled with. It would have been the words that preceded it. You are the salt of the earth. You, those who he just addressed in the Beatitudes by saying, you who are spiritually poor. You who are meek and insignificant. You who are going through loss. You who have been left out. You not the Pharisees, 
not the super intellectual elite religious teachers, not the Roman government leaders, not the wealthy landowners, not the politically connected, not any of those whom we would assume are crucial to the world. If they are not of the kingdom, they simply are not as essential. You are the salt of the world. The world's preservation depends on you. And in case we think that means just one of us, the real translation of you in Jesus' words here is a plural in the Greek. So it's best translated with our best southern y'all. Jesus is pointing to the corporate impact of the disciple community formed in juxtaposition to the way of the world that creates an alternative society that is visible to outsiders. Jesus says to his church, you are what I am using to save the world. Redeemed, transformed, imperfect Christians. They will and have kept the world from going bad. But we need to not miss the warning here from Jesus as well. Jesus says that you are my agent for goodness within the world church, but be careful. Because salt can lose its saltiness. And really, the evil one's whole goal is to get salty Christians to lose their saltiness. So we must stop here and we must say that the church must always be first to repent. Before it calls the world to repentance, it must look inwardly and examine itself and to say, where are the places, like it says in Revelation, where the church needs to repent and to return to its first love? Biblical humility provides the essential framework for this type of discipleship and repentance. We are called to confess our sins to one another. We must never hesitate to admit when we make mistakes. You see, just as willing we must be to dive in and do bold things for Jesus, we must also be as willing to admit when we miss the mark, to ask for forgiveness, to come to communion in repentance, and ask God daily that he would change our hearts and make them more like his. We should never think that we are above the truth, or that there's something wrong with admitting when we have missed the mark. In fact, it's when we start to isolate, start to think it's on us, or when we get so caught up in ourselves that we think we're not making mistakes, or that we are untouchable, or the only one that needs to be strong or pre present as strong at all times so that others can 
believe that there's somebody with that type of impossible strength. But Jesus teaches us that real strength comes from our ability to see how we need each other and how we need God more than anything else. When the church is having problems, I'll be the first to say that it makes my soul ache. And sometimes it really does. Being a pastor, sometimes there are moments where I just want to retreat and say, I know the kind of barrage that I'm going to get if I tell this person that I just met that I am a Christian pastor. And there's a lot of apologizing all up front, and sometimes it just becomes easier to say, you know what, I don't know anything about that. And in that way, we would parrot Peter when Jesus is on the cross, who says, I do not know this man. In Jesus' moment of great crisis, Peter betrays him with his words out of self-protection and self-preservation. And so the other warning we see in the text is that those of us who see the scandals, scandals both in our country, in the world when it comes to Christianity, those who are Christian famous in the world that are, are brought to their knees from scandal, or even locally as we hear of local scandals within the church, we just want to run and hide And we say brand Christianity doesn't represent me anymore. But Jesus also says that's not enough. That to run and hide, to put your light under a covering that would prevent you from shining the light of Christ is not okay. You are the light of the world. Like Frodo, you may wish that you were not the light of the world when things get really dark. But nonetheless, you have one race to run. And the Christian community needs bold, healthy, good examples. And so retreat is not acceptable to Jesus. Do not give up. Work through whatever issues you have, yes. Move into a space of repentance, yes. But ultimately, you are the one. You are the one Jesus has chosen. We are the ones Jesus has chosen to save the world. And we should not retreat from this great calling that he has given us. In essence, we should not let evil win on the twofold front. The first in taking down people that we have lifted up and said they are the best representations of Christianity. And if the evil one can take them out, then all of us who have placed our faith in that person, when they fall, then to those who have put their faith in that person also fall. And not only that, but then... All the people standing on and looking, wondering, should I follow after God? Should I be a Christian? Would that be the way that God might form me or that I might spend my days? Look upon the disasters within the church and they say, I want nothing to do with that. And the evil one rejoices. 
It says, yes, I have prevented another Christian from being made in the world. But if that is true, then the opposite is also true. That when we courageously step into who Jesus says that we are, and we boldly take on this responsibility of being a light, a community of light on a hill. If you've ever stood and looked at a city at night, maybe you've been up tall in a tall building in a city around nine o'clock at night and just look out at all of the lights shining in the darkness. This is the image that you might conjure in your mind for the Christian community is a cluster of individual lights shining in the darkness, each adding to the intensity of that light and it will draw people unto itself with the warmth of the light. Stanley Hauerwas calls this the corporate impact that makes the city of God visible from afar. Let's just talk a little bit about a way in which our church, I believe, has acted locally in spite of all the great issues of our time in order to bear witness just here in Redondo Beach. I can remember years ago now having a conversation with Miriam Rounds who helps, at, uh, helps the homeless through Faith St. Andrews. And we were having this conversation about whether we should use the church's mail address to help people who were living on the streets to get the paperwork that they needed in order to get off the streets and into permanent supportive housing. And we both were wondering if we might get in trouble for using the church's address in this way. Well, we decided to quietly begin to do this work together because we knew it was the only way that people would really be able to do what they needed to do to get off the streets. And we really wanted to be helpful to people beyond just, um, you know, food, which is wonderful to build that trust, but to help them to get a new life and to get shelter over their heads and, and have some sustainable care. And so we went for it. And then over time, Michael so faithfully stepped up, who is our mailman for uh, this ministry, and he's gotten uh, over a hundred people that come to the church to receive mail. And in a way, that metaphor in and of itself is so beautiful that the church steps in as a home address for those who have no home. Along this time as well, there was a lot of news out there about how homeowners in Redondo Beach were frustrated with the homeless problem. There were some real and significant concerns that they had that they expressed to the city council. And so as part of that, I reached out to our city council and tried to tell them how we were working to be part of the solution to that problem. I can still remember talking to some city councilmen, and when I talked about the idea of permanent supportive housing, 
in Redondo Beach, they laughed in my face. But then this thing happened called COVID-19. And there was a new concern that was going on in the city, which was how do we deal with the most vulnerable among us who are unsheltered during a pandemic? And so out of this emergency situation developed Project Room Key, a project where for a, a, a small amount of time, people that were homeless would be able to live in hotels that were not being used or in the YMCA that was not being used in places like it. And so the city began this effort to place people into this temporary housing. It was a beautiful moment for the city as they watched people change their lives in just a small amount of time of having shelter, but then the reality sunk in that Project Room Key was ending. And they weren't sure what to do. A lot of people were facing going back into the streets. So the city council decided to build pallet shelters in Redondo Beach. And so they went from laughing in my face to constructively solving the problem of homelessness in a new and unique way. And not only that, but they added to it in this city what's known as homeless court where the police officers, the mayor, and the judge of this city all work together with mental health services in order to sentence people that are homeless not to prison, but to rehab. And I had the opportunity to sit there and watch as this was happening, and people were clapping and applauding as people who would be... Uh, again and again incarcerated with no real solution, with great uh, financial cost to the city that were now making progress into their new life. And so as things ended, I had the ability to have some conversations with people. And the one I remember the most is with the judge who came to me and said, oh, you're from St. Andrews. You're the ones that provide the mail." And so the thing that I thought would be the thing that would get us in trouble was in fact the role that we were playing to bear witness to our local community. To say, this is how St. Andrews is going to shine a light on a difficult problem. This is what happens when Difficult problems aren't ran away from, because when you run away from them, they just grow and grow and grow. But when you take the challenge on and you work together to take a challenge on, there's no telling what a community of people can accomplish. And not only that, but now Redondo is creating a model that other cities can use in order to help in this big issue of our time. just want to share one final picture with you of how this has worked within the last week. This is a picture of Marcia White. She's been homeless on the streets of Redondo Beach for as long as I have been here, and probably much longer than that. She is one of the hardest cases of homelessness I have ever seen. She's been coming to our program. She really struggles with alcoholism. 
very difficult to get her to follow the protocol, etc., for many years. But the story goes that Marcia had fallen, and as you can see in the picture, she has many bandages on her head, and she was being brought home by an ambulance from the hospital when she told the ambulance driver that she wanted to be dropped off at St. Andrews. And when she was dropped off at St. Andrews, Miriam took her in, saw her bandages, immediately called Lila, who's the social worker in this area, and they were able to connect her to Exodus, which is a rehabilitation center right on the avenues down here, to begin to get her into permanent supportive housing. And so the finances from this church paid for her to stay a night at a hotel so that the next night she could go into a room in Wilmington. And we furnished that room. And we're praying for Marcia that she would take this journey to becoming a new person. And we're thankful for the way in which now we have the ability to play this type of role in the city. Now, not all of us are called to the issue of homelessness. But I want to say out there to anybody who is questioning the reputation of Christianity, I frequently want to say this when I see the bad news out there. I acknowledge the bad news, but that is not the majority of Christians that I know. The Christians that I know were there to celebrate with me when my son was born. The Christians I know were there to encourage me when I had failed Greek and I was in tears wondering what I would do with my life. The Christians that I know have supported me in missionary works, have supported me throughout my entire life, and they're a village of people that are salt and light. They are a city on a hill that I want to be a part of. And so simple acts, simple acts, good deeds, the result of the amazing grace that God has given us put into loving action through community is the way in which the world shall be saved. And I invite you, church, in all humility to be who you really are, salt and light for the world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use us mightily here at St. Andrews, not to get caught up in all of the divisiveness, but to think locally about what we can do to represent you, to walk in your way in the next step, step of faithfulness and love together. Unify us, heal us, transform us, and make us more like you, Lord Jesus. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.